In Growing with Favor of God, we looked at the disciplines of the Christian life that we want to guide our children into, that they learn those disciplines. But remember, we, we challenged that this is not to be equated with having a right relationship with God. That they learn these disciplines of life, they see them in your, in your life, they participate in them even as they don't uh, always are trusting in them. Uh, and you might say, well, is it right for them to participate in it? It is to this extent that we are teaching them why we are doing it. That it is a priority of life, that they want to see an example. We're going to fill that out a lot when we get to the E of being an example uh, in our uh, parenting. And we're going to talk more about that tonight. That we want to distinguish, though, in their minds between what we do and why we do it. That what we do, that the reason we uh, engage in all these Christian disciplines is because we have a relationship with Christ, we have his love within us, and we love him. And we need to communicate that to our children as we do that. And uh, one of the key ones I didn't really talk about last week and no one really asked about is some of the, uh, particularly the church um, ordinances uh, between uh, baptism and communion. And I need to address that a little bit before we get into the I uh, and E, which we're going to kind of do together tonight. Um, and that's because I have a lot of parents come to me about baptism and communion. And invariably what happens is right about the time their children can start to articulate and think about these things, and we want them to be baptized. In fact, I have a lot of parents coming, I want my son or daughter to be baptized. And I was like, well, what does your son and daughter want? Uh, and then they'll say, well, and I'll have children come up and say, well, I want to be baptized. And I'll say, well, why? And uh, I just want to share with you that I have, as I've gone through ministry, and it's interesting because when you hear old-time pastors, um, they invariably always want to push baptism off farther and farther in the children's Christian experience. And because over the course of it, you come to the point of regretting them. And I'm at that point that there are quite a few children's baptisms that I regret participating in uh, because uh, there was no follow-through, there was uh, no uh, commitment. And we are putting them into a public uh, testimony that they uh, don't appreciate the significance of. And so I'm not a big advocate of baptizing children as soon as they get saved or make a profession of faith. And this ties into a little bit what we've been studying on Sunday morning in John about moving from belief to belief to belief. That we have three levels there that our children will believe on a very simple and direct level, um, but we are looking for a committed level that, that translates into a transformed life. That's what we're looking for and that's what we're trying to communicate in the baptismal waters. The baptismal waters are trying to say, here's who I once was, here's who I am now. Okay, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives with me. And for too many of our children, that isn't a reality in their life, especially if they've been raised in a Christian home. And so I am a person who has been baptized twice, not because my family were Catholics and I got baptized as an infant, but I got baptized as a very young person uh, who had made a profession of faith, and, my, and uh, my parents told me I did, you know, at five years old. And I'm not saying you can't at that age, uh, 
uh, or that it's not significant. But I made a profession of faith, and so I was baptized like at seven or something like that. Um, but it wasn't until I was ten that I really made a commitment to follow, be a follower of Jesus Christ that I point to. So when anyone asks me, when did I get saved? I don't tell them at five years old. I'm sure I prayed the prayer that my mom or dad wanted me to say, um, but that doesn't mean that it was significant in my life, transforming me. Um, but when I look at my decision at the age of 10, that was transformative. That did change my life. And so I point to that. And so I got baptized about mm, nine months later um, in uh, that church in Minnesota. And as still a 10-year-old, I think, let's see here, yeah, that birthday had happened. And so um, on Easter Sunday morning, and I uh, still cling to that. I talk about that. I don't even rehearse. I don't honestly really remember the other ones that well. Uh, and so uh, when we talk about the Christian disciplines, we don't really get to the ordinances. The other Christian discipline that we participate in as, a, as an ordinance is communion. And again, uh, lots of questions. When do I let my child partake of communion? And, uh, and again, I think we would err to start it too young before they appreciate the significance of what they are doing. Even though they've made a profession of faith, um, I always challenge the parents, are they spiritually attuned enough to know whether or not they are walking with the Lord to participate? Because the Bible says, examine yourselves before you do so, to, that you do so in a worthy manner. And I ask the question, do you think your child has come here ready to examine their life to determine themselves, and this is going to, we're going to, show some of this when we get to the A of authority, to examine themselves if they are worthy of it. Not you telling them whether they're worthy or not, but them being spiritually attuned enough to make that determination for themselves. And I would contend that most children are not. There are a few serious-minded young people, and, um, but again, uh, I just see rarely that they're taking it seriously enough to really examine themselves. And so... Uh, I always press it, and invariably, they will send their children up and ask, and, um, and I go through the classes with them, and again, uh, it's very evident which children are on board with it, which are not, um, and, and which parents are on board. And a lot of time, uh, when I give this little booklet for the children to fill out, it's very evident which parents sat down with them and did it with them. Uh, it's also evident which ones really weren't that interested in doing it. And uh, the last baptism we had, I pretty much was going to cancel it because of, of the inattentiveness, the, the dis, disregard. And I, but again, the parents are like, oh no, he really, really wants to do that. And it's like, you know, so you put me in, a, in the position of making a judgment call that really is yours to examine a child of what's going on in their heart and life, because I don't live with them. Um, I see them only on occasions, and when I see struggling and I come to you with that, um, boy, that should be a big red flag to you. Um, but again, we are so committed to seeking the welfare of our child, we forget that maybe that is doing injury to their Christian walk in the future, because they have participate in something that isn't 
a genuine reality in their life. And so I press, I don't go so far um, as some of like uh, other groups that say we only practice adult believers' baptism. We don't practice child baptism at all. Um, but uh, uh, given my history with it, uh, and, and, and again, I, I, I kind of scoffed at this when I was a young pastor, when older pastors told me this, and now as an older pastor, if I had a young pastor, I would tell them again the same thing I just told you. And so I try to push it off as late, as long, and, and uh, till they can communicate the significance of it and demonstrate the significance of it. But while we do that uh, in their practice, and we might push that off, that doesn't mean we're not instructing them as we do it. So as I participate in communion, and they say, why can't I take that bread and eat that, or drink that cup? Um, that is an important time that you need to talk to them and tell them why and communicate what is the significance of this. What does it require to really participate in this in a God-honoring fashion? And uh, that's a biblical uh, instruction that we have for parents, that we, we participate for the Israelites in Passover. When your children ask you why, he gives out the answer. Well, when your children ask you, why do we do this? Why do we have baptism? Why do we have communion? Why do we do anything as a Christian family? That is your opportunity to go into our next letter in our uh, acrostic there, the instruction, to tell them, to explain these things to them. And so, no, it is not necessary that your child participate in every Christian, in every discipline of the Christian life, um, but they need to see it in your life, and they need to understand that these, these are... Uh, things that should be a reality in your life. And so, um, is it okay for a child to learn to pray? Yes, because prayer is an, the avenue of seeking God. And, um, but uh, again, you should be the one that leads in prayer. You should be the one that they should see praying, that they should hear praying, and uh, participate in that discipline. And uh, so, I want to touch base with those two things particularly because invariably um, in Christian homes, your children want to be baptized. Uh, it, it's, it's not a writ of passage, uh, but it's treated that way. And we have it exacerbated by infant baptism in not only Catholicism and the Anglican Church, but, but even your Reformed churches participate in infant baptism uh, by pouring instead of uh, sprinkling, but um, because they're identifying elect people. Um, because every child of a Christian must be elect themselves. And so we're, and that's a horrible thing to do. Because obviously that, that infant can't make that decision, has no knowledge of what's going on. Um, but similarly, when we get up in the older ages of 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, um, we need to make sure that that's, there's a real substance there, not just a wanting to belong or wanting to do what daddy and mommy do, or wanting, and, and mommy and daddy pushing that onto them. Oh, please be careful with that, right? Uh, because then you're entering into the realm that God doesn't even go into. God doesn't press people to salvation. He invites. And to be inviting versus being uh, pressure to them, for them to receive Christ as their Savior. And um, I, I, in my parenting, uh, very seldom did you have anything. That's why when my children share their testimony, I don't know that any one of them will say, well, I sat down with Dad and accepted Christ as my Savior, because that wasn't their experience. Um, 
it was usually in the midst of another ministry of the church, whether it be VBS or uh, Sunday school or, or uh, children's program or uh, junior church. It's, it's often those things or camp and things like that. So they are, why? Because it is too easy a thing for them to see this as something that will make dad or mom happy. And that is not the reason for them to uh, make that profession of faith. And that's why I really, uh, not, I'm not going to tell you to discourage that um, because there are certainly many testimonies of people who have received Christ their Savior with their family, with their, with their parent, um, but that we do not present it in such a manner that it is, this is to make me happy. Um, because that's very clearly there. Now, um, any questions on that? Concerns about that? We want to get into I and E, which pretty much need to go together, instruction and example. Uh, and that's pretty true of every category, but particularly true in this category. Um, because once you try to instruct without living it, what, are, is that, what is that called? What do we call that? Someone who tells you how to live the Christian life, but doesn't live it themselves. That's hypocritical. And so we don't want to be hypocritical to our children. So if you're going to instruct them, you're going to um, also uh, live that in front of them. And uh, when we come to instruction, this is very, very easy. When we talked about the disciplines of the Christian life, that's a tricky one because of that tension. Um, but when we come to the instruction, this is very simple because you don't have to hold back at all. The instruction manual for the spiritual maturation of your child, for the spiritual development and hope for your child, is God's Word. And you do not ever go wrong teaching your child God's Word in any way whether it is by memorization, by reading, by studying it, by using it in your language development, uh, by uh, rehearsal, meditation, singing it. Uh, there is no wrong way to teach God's Word. There's no time that it's too early or that it can be confusing. Uh, we can teach God's Word from the earliest ages all the way through Till they're like 90. I don't know what happens after 90. I haven't gotten there yet. But um, You cannot go wrong instructing your child in the spiritual truths of God's word. You want them upon their heart and in their mind. Even if they are resistant, even if you're dealing with a rebellious child, you still, because you're a parent, want to fill their mind with God's word. You want to fill their life with it. From morning till night, till when they wake up in the morning to when they go to bed at night. In every part of your home, God's word should have a place there. It should be inundated with them, with God's word. And in, the example we have, of course, is uh, in terms of that, um, not only do we have the Old Testament example, that it should be a frontlet. That is, it should be right between your eyes. It should go in front of you all the time, not just for children, but for everyone. That it should kind of be our guide, our lamp, and lead the way. And so whenever I see that this child is growing in favor with God, I always make an underlying assumption that that child is increasing in their knowledge of the Word of God, probably by the efforts of their parents. And the New Testament example is who? 
specifically says you this happened. That was before they were in ministry, before they really engaged with uh, the apostles. Who was it? Oh, do I got a did I stump? Huh? Timothy. Timothy. Where did he learn the scriptures? It says from his, that you heard it first from your mother and grandmother. That grandma and mom filled his mind with the scriptures long before Paul showed up on the scene. Now, remember, that doesn't necessarily mean he was a Christian. He was being raised by a, by a, a mother and a grandmother who were filling his mind with the scriptures, the Old Testament. And so Timothy had a working knowledge of the Old Testament when the gospel comes and Paul is, is there and, and engaged. He sees in Timothy, well, this is a young man who is growing in favor with God. Well, what is one of the primary evidence of that? His love for the word of God. And that's why some of the most important verses about the scriptures, about what they are and how they play a role in your life, are found in First and Second Timothy. Right? So turn your Bibles there. Let's go ahead and look at some of them. Uh, <clears throat> and let's start in First Timothy chapter 1. I'm just going to give you a perusal of 1 and 2 Timothy. We're just going to kind of walk through it very quickly. I'm not going to pick out every passage. I'm just going to pick out a few. Uh, we could read the, all, the whole books almost, um, but we're going to find a lot about uh, knowledge of God's Word. Let's look at 1 Timothy 1, uh, verse 3. Uh, As I urge you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. What was the primary concern of Timothy? Timothy, as a pastor, you must know good doctrine. Don't get caught up in all these other disputes and discussions. That's, that's not your mission. It's going to cause problems. Focus in on the, what is edifying, what is building up in the faith that you keep into doctrine, that you're going to be teaching this. And verse 5, now the purpose of the commandments is love from a pure heart. And so right there, the commandments... If you read through Psalm 119, uh, the, with all of the things about God's word, commandments is one of the uses of, of Jewish people to refer to the Torah and to the law and the prophets and to uh, the scriptures. And so he talks about the commandments, they're profitable. And again, he's going to reference some of that. And, uh, and he encourages right off the bat, first thing, good doctrine from the commandments. All right, don't neglect that. And again, by this point, Timothy is not a child. He's younger, but he's not a child uh, at all. But uh, I'd have to believe that this is for Timothy just a reminder for him to uh, press on in doing that which was productive in his life. And so then we come into the qualifications of in chapter 3. And again, I can go through some others, but I want to jump forward, uh, that uh, what are you looking for in a bishop or a pastor? Uh, and right there in the list, let's pick up verse 2, 
Uh, bishop then will be blameless, a husband and wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable. And we spend a lot of time on some of that, but it really is able to teach. Not given to wine, but gentle, not greedy for money, but, uh, I'm sorry, but not violent, but, nor greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice. And that word novice there is, um, implies that he's, not, he's immature in Christ. All right? And so you, here's to a younger pastor that says, don't let anyone you know, speak of your youth and hold it against you. Um, but, and so Paul didn't consider Timothy a novice. How can that be when he's so young? Well, because he knew the scriptures from a very early age. Now he's been trained in them. And so he is qualified there. And he has to have a good testimony as well. And so the necessity of having a good handling, not a novice, to know the scriptures. And I have to contend that that would be Timothy, even at a younger age, because he knew the scriptures from a very early age. Uh, We, again, are uh, brought to chapter 4, verse 6. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith, and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Again, that's past tense. Timothy has already carefully followed good doctrine. And his purpose of instruction is, again, not uh, wise fables, not, not uh, all this stuff, um, but exercise yourself towards godliness. And so, again, the focus and energy of what you have had in the past is going to be tapped. Well, it can only be tapped in this young pastor because it was there when he was a child in the home. And so I encourage you to get your children into God's word on every opportunity and any opportunity. And so if I have to teach children to write, okay, if they, and, and, and I've done that with my children, teach them to write. What's the best way to teach them to write? Well, I give them, here's a, here's a verse. This is your verse of the day, start writing. I'm grading you on penmanship, but what are you writing? Scripture. Can you grade them on penmanship when it's a scripture verse? Of course. And you can learn a lot of grammar. In fact, one of the biggest tests of whether a child, uh, and usually this is a teenager, whether a child really understands their grammar is make them um, diagram a scripture verse. Boy, those, especially if it's one of Paul's. That might be a paragraph. Diagram this baby. You know, and you're like, oh, now I know that whether you would understand your grammar and syntax, whether you understand how to, you know, I give them a verse because that's a hard thing to, to um, and it, but it's one of the good exercises as a young pastor. I did that a lot because I'm like, what is this? And I, and I would diagram them out so I could have all the, the atten- attachments and know what is uh, 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 talking about what. And so um, I use God's word. It, is, it should be your primary reader. It should be something they're reading. It should be something they learn to write from. They, they learn vocabulary from. All of this is the use of God's word to get it into their mind. Once it's in their mind, your work is largely completed. Because whose tool is it once it's in their mind? The Holy Spirit's tool. 
It is his sword. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so we want that in their mind, and so we want to get it there. And so Paul is calling on Timothy, instruct the brethren, um, and be a good minister. Nourish them in the words of faith. It's their, it's their food. It's their mental food, their spiritual food. They need those words. And it is uh, really hard when I look at our educational system, and I have to deal with that. So yeah, on Wednesday nights, I have the teens, you guys know that, and I have to sit down, and, and they're trying to memorize verses, the same verses that the younger ones are memorizing. They're trying to memorize in the teens, and I, I ask them, what does this word mean? What does this word mean? What does this word mean? And their vocabulary is so tiny because of the shoddiness of our educational system, they don't know what most of the words mean let alone the words like propitiation and advocate, which we have in our memory list this year in 1 John 1 and 2. Chapter 2 is where those words are used. And so, you know, they don't understand concepts of, of just, uh, justice. What is justice? What is, and, and so I have to go back and I have to teach vocabulary lessons so that my teenagers, 13, 14-year-olds, can learn these verses, they're memorizing it, but I have to expand their vocabulary well beyond that that they're getting at school. And don't be afraid to do that. They need to learn these words because these words are of faith. These are words of faith. And if you want to really test vocabulary, I don't really care if they know the name of every dinosaur type that man have named. Okay? I don't really care if they can spell brontosaurus. It's irrelevant. They will never encounter a brontosaurus. And we don't really even know what a brontosaurus ever looked like. But they do desperately need to know what biblical words are, like propitiation. And, and I know we can dumb it down, we can use other words, but why? Why not develop your child's vocabulary, teach them what those words mean, and invest in them? And this is where we need to develop that. And so when I see their spelling list come back, I'm like, well, that's a pathetic spelling list. Um, but let's get some biblical words in there. Let's get these, though, that when they go to reading God's word, it's not a foreign language to them, but they know it. And so please employ God's word in your instruction of your child's education. And so again, we're in chapter 4. Let's uh, jump down to verse 12 and following. These are the ones we often focus in on as well as the ones in 2 Timothy uh, and we'll spend some time there. Let no one despise your youth. Be an example of believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity till I come give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you which is given to you by the prophecy of the laying out of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrines. Continue in them. For in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. And so spend your time. If you have spare time, invest yourself even more in God's word and its truth and meditating. Let that consume you your time. And again, not uh, there's reading, there's meditating, there's taking heed to action, doctrine, and that uh, you have to give yourself over to them. And there should be progress evident. And so we want to see that. And the alternative is that we are in trouble 
And so we want to see this investment, not only in pastors and in young pastors, but in our children. Invest it in them. Talk about it. Have it be. And, and that's why memorization is so valuable for your children because now that it's with them, it's internal. And even if they go off in rebellion, that, those verses are still in there. They're still there. I mean, they're nagging at them. They're going to be of benefit. The Bible says that his word will not return empty. It will be some value to them. So let's jump forward. I'm running out of time. I want to press on uh, into 2 Timothy. Uh, and again, we could spend a lot of time in a different parts of this. Let's jump forward in Timothy. 2 Timothy. <clears throat> I'm going to jump ahead. Let's go to chapter 2. You therefore, my son, verse 1, be strong in the graces in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so we have this whole concept that um, it's I'm not only teaching my children God's word, but I am wanting them to hear other stories about it. Um, and so what you've heard from me, commit to others. What you hear, you should be communicating to your children. All right? And so I'm teaching, generally my sermons, uh, I used to say they were at like a 12-year-old level, um, but now I've seen what 12-year-olds are taught, so I can't say that anymore. They're more like at a 16-year-old level. Um, not, just, not, not in terms of vocabulary, but in terms of concept. And it's, it's, that's kind of frightening that that's unfortunately the case because I don't think I'm preaching more complicated sermons. I just think that we have, we have that sorry of a condition of the thought processes that are in our children. And a lot of that's not only just because of poor education, it's because they're not learning how to think critically, to think at all. Because that is not what media, media is intended to keep you from thinking. It is not there to entice you to think more carefully. The purpose of media is to turn your brain off so that they can fill it with what they want. It is not dissimilar from other actions that invite uh, demonic activity. Uh, why does transcendental meditation invite demonic activity? Because the first endeavor is to what? Empty your mind. Well, the Bible never tells you to do that. It says to sharpen your mind, to fill your mind, never to empty it and disengage it. But media does that, and they put those little electrodes to see what your mind is doing while you're watching TV. And your mind is more awake, your, more, your mind is more active while it sleeps than it is while you're watching media. Let that sink in a little bit. Your children's mind is more active while they're sleeping than while they're watching Disney. Which means that their minds are being shut down and they have a free flow of stuff going into them. And you combine that with the powerful way of using uh, animation and music, uh, they have a tremendous influence. And that's why we are to be disciplined in this area and be careful. And so it says what we have heard that we want to commit to others who want to teach, teach uh, further. And so we want to engage our children with God's word in multiple ways. Uh, and I want to help you do that. But we need to instruct them. And it's very clear that the instruction needs to come from God's word. Well, let's jump ahead to chapter 3. Uh, again, I could 
go through a lot of these because there's, I got them marked up because um, you want to know the truth. Well, the truth is God's word. Let's just read a big section of chapter 3, shall we? Um, let's read all of chapter 3. But, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come from him, be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. For, this, for of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So there's our warning flag. We do not want to create that environment. Now, as Janice and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they'll progress no further, for their folly will manifest to all as theirs also was. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which have happened to me at Antioch and Iconium, Lystra. what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you have learned them, that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be perf- complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then he goes on in chapter 4, preach the word and sees out, you know, you don't need to preach anything else, you need to preach God's word. So we have this warning that there are those who, in the church, how do I know he's talking? He's not talking about the world. All these things in chapter 4 have been in the world from sin's entrance. They've been in there before the flood. They've been in there since the flood. So he's really talking about when in the church you see being taught as godliness these things. Yes, when churches are teaching and giving this in this as godliness, that self-love is godly, when they are teaching pride as a godly thing, when they teach lovers of being lovers of money, of boasting as being godly, that they're actually encouraging children to be disobedient to parents, of being un- all these things are having a form of godliness but denying its power. It is being taught in the church. When you see these things evident in churches... Well, when I look at some of those things on the list, I'm looking at my children, and I'm saying, well, disobedient to parent is a child's activity. Yes. Okay, is it possible to have a form of godliness but deny its power, who are learning but never coming to a knowledge of the truth? Yes, we don't want that to happen. So what is it that brings this out? that exposes false learning. That is, I know all the verses, I know all that la-di-la-la-la, you know, I can quote them back to you, and I've, I've had smart aleck little kids uh, throughout my ministry who think they can do that to me, and, the, and they get 
hammered because I can do that. I, I can keep up with them and I know God's word a lot better than they do and, and I can just blast them to pieces. Um, but all I've done is won an argument and the Bible says that that's not going to accomplish a whole lot. So what is the solution to this? Well, Paul tells Timothy what the solution is. Um, he says, but you um, carefully followed all of these things. And he says, you live the realness. And this is where we transition from instruction to example. Yes, we are told about how wonderful God's word is, that we need to continue in that. And we have this wonderful description that he knew the scriptures uh, from a very from childhood. You've known the Holy Scriptures. But look at the middle of verse 15, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Knowledge of the Scriptures does not equal salvation. But knowledge of the Scriptures are able, that is, they give you a better capacity to have wisdom, to have faith in Jesus Christ. Notice the progression. You have knowledge, that can make you wise, and that wisdom mixed with faith brings you salvation. You cannot control step two or step three. You cannot make your child wise. You cannot make them have faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot do it. But you can give them step A, a knowledge of the scriptures that in, enhances their capacity to, for toward wisdom and towards faith, that they might be saved. And so we want, through faith, they have salvation and the wisdom to apply the scriptures to their life. But if we extract the scriptures from that environment, uh, we're, we're giving them a real hard time. What does uh, Paul say in Romans 10? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if we want our children to have the best avenue to salvation, we need to fill their lives with the instruction, and that instruction needs to be God's word. And so uh, we need to wrap ourselves around that, that why do we eat this way? Why do we um, live this way? Why do we do this? Well, it's all tied, not because this is just the way I was raised, because I said so. How about because God says so in his word? Are we saying that to our children? Well, because this is what God wants us to do. And here's the verse. Maybe we're not adept at doing that because we don't know the Bible as well enough ourselves. In that case, get into God's word and learn it better. But we have this instruction that we use God's word and to counter the possibility that our children are learning and never coming to a knowledge of the truth. It is our lives. Be an example all who desire to, and he says, you've carefully followed my doctrine, but you've also followed my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love and my perseverance, the persecution, all of this. You have not only heard what I've heard taught and the doctrine, you have seen it in my life. If you teach God's word and don't live it in front of them, you are encouraging them to learn without ever coming to a knowledge of the truth. If you make it a priority, and, and when I talk to these parents that send their children to Word Life Clubs, okay, 
you, oh, our kids need to be in church. They need to know God's word. And I'm like, and they say that in front of their children. And, and what needs to be said is, why? Why do you think that's necessary for your children? Well, they need to know that, I said, well, you're not showing that it's important to you, so why should they think it's important? So when I get the children here, um, I'm doing a, a, I have a two-edged sword I'm using with these children of unsaved families. I have a two-edged sword. Because while I'm telling them to honor their father and mother because that's a commandment of God, I'm also using their father and mother as a negative example of what happens when you don't live God's word. And I ask them, what's your home like? That's not what my home is like. It's not a Christian home. And so do you want to have a better life than you watch your parents have, or you want to have the same life you watch your parents have? And almost always they'll say, well, I want a better life than what, you know, because they see the turmoil, the misery, the anger, the, and a lot of them don't even realize there's something different out there. I think everyone has that because so many of their peers do have that. Um, but not in my house. Not here. And so, um, what, so I use that as, well, you know, I'm giving you a different avenue that's going to be out of that. But, oh, how much more benefit it would be if a parent says, this is important for my child to know this, and it's important for me to live it in front of it, to show them by example, this is a priority of life. Nothing comes ahead of this in my life. I want to not only know it, I want to apply it. And so I'm not just carefully teaching doctrine, I'm showing a manner of life, a purpose of faith. I'm showing these things. This is the, this is the best help you can give your children so that they don't learn and never come to a knowledge of the truth. There's a very strong warning there in verse 6 and 7. Always learning, never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Having a form of godly in verse 5, but denying the power thereof. We do not want that for our children. That is what the last times are filled with. And so this is, this is the thing you're trying to guard. You're, you're trying to do a, an end guard for your children that they don't go into this. But this is the tendency of the end times and it's a tendency in churches. Because we don't want to offend anyone because then you might not come, you might not give me money and I might not get paid. Right? And that, that's how many pastors think. And that's why it's better not to pay your pastor. You know, that old adage, Lord, you keep them humble, we'll keep them poor. That's, that was the old deacon's adage a generation, two generations ago. You, know, you keep them humble, we'll keep them poor, Lord. And it worked. Because nobody went in the ministry for money. It wasn't an easy occupation. You, it was not, you, and I, I would have preferred it that way. Because they honored the person, but not with finances. And now they give you finances and they don't listen to anything you say. And you can't say anything because they'll be offended. And then you lose your salary. Um, and I've lived that. I've had that happen where people have threatened my financial position to try to bring me to conformity with what they wanted, which contrary to God's word. And I just laugh at them. I'm like, I'm a faith minister. I, I, I trust in God, not you. 
And if you take away it, I'm pretty sure God will find another way to his glory instead of to yours. And so this is what we need in front of our children. Realize your children are going to be going this direction. The end guard for that, to keep that from happening, is that you have a manner of life that is consistent with what you're teaching. You have to be the example behind that. Doesn't mean you have to be perfect, because there are no perfect parents, but readily admit that. And when you admit that, tell them, I'm, I've asked God to forgive me, and I need to ask you to forgive me, because I've failed in this respect, um, and, and I'm going to be better. Your children have to know that you're human, that you are a redeemed sinner, that you have the struggle with sin too. But they also know that you're doing everything in your power to live out the Christian faith. And that is going to what's going to be the, that, that guard, that rear guard to instruction. How do we keep our children from learning all these truths and never coming to knowledge of the truth? by showing them the truth actively in our lives. And even then, even in that, with us doing everything, doing both of those, if I inundate my child with the scriptures and I seek to live it as consistently as I can uh, as a rear guard for them, even then we are in this position where it is able to make them wise for salvation through faith. But I cannot bring them to faith. I cannot bring them to wisdom. Okay, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, I can give them that. But I can't prevent rebellion of the heart. Can't do it. But I can give them the tools, their best chance. And even with that, in the perilous times that we live in, because I believe very sincerely these are the last days, and so this text becomes very important to me, and I've been preaching it for over 20 years, that these are the very things we're seeing in the church. 20, no, longer than that, because that was before I even came to New Mexico. I was preaching in church as a young pastor, and I was like, it's very disconcerting to me. I was in some of my supporting churches, so I was still a missionary, and I went through this text, and I was like, when our churches are teaching, this is a generation ago, our churches were already teaching, you have to love yourself. You have to love, you have to learn to love yourself. And it was a big popular movement back there in the late 80s and 90s in churches. And so I preached against it. I had people get mad at me. You know, what are you talking about? I said, we have to, I was like, no, the Bible says we already love ourselves too much. It says that we just esteem others better than ourselves in Philippians. And it says that lovers of themselves is the end times. But we have believed psychologists, psychiatrists instead of God's word. And we have realized that depression is really self-love to the extreme. Yeah. But if I say that, when I say that, people get upset at me. Oh, no, no, no. I was like, yeah, it is. Because talk to a depressed person. See what they talk about. I've talked to plenty of them. You know what they talk about? Themselves. Almost only themselves. So you want to do an end roundabout on these last times? 
Uh, even when you do everything right, you still can't put faith, you can't put wisdom there. Your child still must choose. Do not try to be what well, God isn't even in their life. God doesn't even force them to be wise or force them to be faith. Don't you try to do it. Cannot do that because you will end up with them learning and never coming to knowledge of the truth. This is what you wanted. You know, you want, no, I'm just going to put God's word in your mind because now you have an ability, if you mix it with wisdom and faith, to be saved. I'm increasing your ability to be saved, but I can't make you. And don't confuse a knowledge of God's word with being saved. Because there's a whole bunch of very, very smart people in seminaries today. You do know that Harvard has a seminary. It started out as a Bible college, and it has a seminary today. You do realize that every professor in that seminary has knowledge of the Greek and Hebrew of the Bible. All of them. And they all deny everything the Bible teaches. They deny the miracles. They deny the um, deity of Christ. They deny the resurrection. They deny the flood. They deny creation. They deny all of that. And you kind of go, yeah, learning and never coming to a knowledge of the truth. So do not confuse it. But you are giving them the, the... the sustenance, you're giving them the, the nutrition that they can draw from spiritually. If they are wise and add faith in God, they can be saved. You're helping them. That is the major way you can help them uh, is by being an example to them, giving them instruction in God's word. And the, the third thing you can do for them is pray for them. <laughs> but if you do go beyond that, Um, I fear that you're going to find children who are false disciples. They're false followers because they're doing it because you're making them and not because they want to. And and I really, as a pastor, like I said at the beginning, um, when I'm interviewing someone for and teaching someone about baptism as a candidate for baptism, I don't know your child well enough. I see them, uh, maybe if you're consistently here, I see them for... Uh, I see them for like three or four hours a week. Actual engagement with them might be a minute. Okay, Daniel, little Daniel Gonzalez hasn't talked to me today. Right? Am I right? Did you talk to me today? No, you didn't talk to me. Your brother did. I talked because I met him and he didn't really say too much, but we we had some encounter. But so... How do I know them? How, I can observe them, but I haven't, I can't, I don't know what's going through their mind and their heart, but you should. And so um, we need to really pray for our children, but we give them instruction in God's word, do the end guard of an example so that they see that this isn't just about learning this information, but it's about living it. We show them wisdom, we show them a manner of life, our purpose, our faith. All these things that Paul says, you didn't just hear what my doctrine was, you saw it all in my life. My love, my perseverance, my long-suffering, my persecutions, you saw that. And so you know that I'm the real deal. And your children need to know you're the real deal. This isn't, this isn't a thing you just, this isn't a, 
something you put on on Sundays and take off on Sunday nights. But it's a daily, hourly, moment-by-moment reality of who you are. It defines you. That I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I love God's Word. Okay? So instruction was really easy. You want them to grow in favor with God? Give them God's Word in big, 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 big doses, as often as you can. Make them sing it, make them read it, make them write it, make them study it, memorize it. Get them to know God's Word. You won't go wrong unless you don't live it in front of them. Don't be the hypocrite. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for uh, this time in your Word and for your Word, that it is there uh, and profitable for us to teach to our children uh, that we might be complete, it might be perfect before you, and that uh, we might that our children might be able to be, become wise enough and have faith in you to be saved because of their knowledge of the scriptures. And Lord, we pray for our children, young and old, and we pray that they might uh, desire after you. And we know that there is rebellion in all of us, and we know it particularly in children. And we pray that you might. Uh, ferret that out in their life and that uh, it might expose their sin and their need for a Savior and that they might uh, have your word come back into their mind to be reminded of uh, your instructions that they might be wise enough and trust you enough to repent. And Lord, we pray for repentance and not only for children who are uh, in rebellion, but for adults that we see that are behaving like that, as Paul describes here to this pastor who love themselves, are boastful and proud, are brutal and, and um, love money and uh, everything else of this world instead of you, that know your word, but choose not to live it. Lord, uh, convict them and help us to stand fast, to endure to your coming. In Christ Jesus' name. Next week we'll be handling authority, and this one is a tough one that you're going to have to swallow hard on, and um, I'm going to be probably engaging your children quite a bit next week. It's going to be more focused toward the children, but I want you to listen carefully in on it next week so we deal with, with their authority with regard to their spiritual life.